Hallelujah. Come on, let's keep that going for just a few moments. How many believes that here tonight? He's still doing great things. He's still working. He's still healing. He's still delivering. I thank God for that. Somebody give him praise. Why don't we take a few moments and just begin to give God a great praise. Hallelujah. Give him the best praise you've given him all week long. Somebody shout with a voice of triumph. Come on. Come on. It feels good in the house of the Lord. He's still doing great things. He's still doing great things. Hallelujah. Praise God. Somebody clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God's still doing great things. Hallelujah. Amen. It feels good in the house of the Lord. So thankful to be here. Amen. With the church. Amen. As was already mentioned this upcoming uh, weekend, you do not want to miss one moment of this. For all those that are going to be able to make it on Friday night for the, uh, the teachers training and support staff training, it's going to be absolutely incredible. And uh, Brother Philip Booker from Rialto, California is going to be um, blessing us with that. And uh, he's, gonna, he's, he's the master. I told somebody, I said, we, we love all of the kids stuff we've done and thankful for that. Uh, but we can always continue to grow and to learn, and he's going to help us do that. And uh, it's a great opportunity even for those that maybe you are not involved in kids' ministry right now, um, but you are looking towards that or you want to pray with kids. It's going to be a great opportunity to learn about that as well and, and just how to get down on their level. And uh, I made an error in the announcements. I said that's that Friday night's at 7 when, in fact, it is at 7.30. So if you show up at 7, you're going to have time to pray for your, by yourself. Amen. <laughs> so. Uh, that'll give you a little extra time. And then, of course, Saturday will be out in Sparks because, as we mentioned before, we're trying to impact our entire region. Amen. And it takes a whole net to bring the fish in. And so we're combining and working together with uh, Souls Harbor Church in Sparks, brother, brother and Sister Riley. And then Sunday, our normal time. We uh, Last year, I want to say we, we brought in about 50 of our own kids from our area for last week or last year. And uh, we want to do that again this year. So I want to encourage you, grab some flyers and invite friends, invite family. I want to tell you, kids are going to be blessed, teenagers are going to be blessed, but us adults are going to be blessed as well. And there's nothing more exciting. Uh, I love seeing everybody get the Holy Ghost. I really do. I love, I love seeing uh, old, older folk get the Holy Ghost, younger folk. But there's something about a little kid praying through the Holy Ghost where they don't, they don't have any pretense. They don't know what's going on. They just they let the Spirit of God move so freely on them, and I'm looking forward to that. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the house of the Lord here today. Amen. Well, we're going to start out our Bible study uh, tonight. I'm going to recap our Bible study, but I got a couple questions. I'm excited. I went in the back just to double check and make sure there was any others, and there was a couple others. And so I want to ask, I want to answer these. Uh, somebody asked you a great question, that which is in line with the Bible studies that we've been having. Uh, and their question was, what was the light for the daytime before the sun was created? And uh, we, we did talk about that a little bit, uh, but we know that the Bible says that God is light. John chapter 1, amen, says that he is the light of, the, light of life and light of men. And when the light came in the world, the darkness could not comprehend it. We also find in the book of Revelations 
that when we get the new heaven and the new earth, the Bible says there will be no need for the sun, for the lamb shall be the light. So uh, to simply answer that, Jesus is the light, and uh, it was foreshadowing that he would come. Another person asked a question, which is not quite in line with our Bible study, but it's still a, a question that I can answer pretty quick. Uh, they said this, that, uh, you know, I've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and I've kind of... Uh, kind of backslid, slid out of the faith. I'm kind of coming to church, not coming to church. Uh, there's a lot of that going on uh, in our world today. And they ask the question, how long before you really sell out? It seems like it's taken a long time for me. And I want to answer that real quickly. And it goes back to one of the Bible says we just had. And everybody say the word choice. How long before I sell out? Well, that's up to you. Do you want to sell out today or in five years? And what does selling out to God look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It, it looks like obedience. It looks like doing the things that the Word of God declares. That's what being sold out really looks like. Now, if you're asking how long before I feel sold out, uh, that's another question. That's going to depend on the individual. Because these things that we talk about, and this is why it's so important for us to have Bible study, uh, we are so blessed to feel God in church. We are so blessed that we can feel God in church. But I want to help us all here tonight. God is not a feeling. Amen. Let me, let's remind everybody, God's not a feeling. God is not the goosebumps that you feel. Now, when God moves, you will feel goosebumps. So we're not going to the other extreme that's just complete head knowledge. But God is not a feeling. And so uh, with that being said, I could go real deep into that Bible study. I won't for the sake of time. But uh, there, is, there is something to be said for you making decisions and choices that I'm going to obey God. And, uh, well, I don't feel like praying. Pray. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's like compounding interest. At first, you may not see a whole lot. And I, I did a Bible study a couple years ago, maybe a year or so ago, where I talked about that things start off as a discipline. This is how the progression of being sold out is. It starts out as a discipline, and then it moves, to, uh, it moves from discipline to being a devotion something that is now part of my spiritual walk, and then eventually it becomes your delight. And so it doesn't start off as something you may enjoy right away. Uh, it's kind of like going to the gym. You may not enjoy it for the first little bit, but as you keep going, you're going to start making it part of your discipline. It's going to be part of your devotion, and eventually you're going to get to the place where you can't wait to go back to the gym. That's how I feel about cheeseburgers. Amen. So the cheeseburgers are my delight. Amen. And then I've got another question, which is going to kind of lead into... Uh, what we talked about, and somebody wrote a very detailed question. I'm going to do my best to, to read it and to answer it, and for the sake of time, see, I didn't even start my clock because when I'm answering questions, my, I'm not on, I'm not on my, my time yet. I'm, I'm, I'm off, off time, so I'll start it now. Amen. Go for another three hours. So somebody asked, uh, please explain how a person or why a person can lead a very sinful life and do horrible things. They made a choice in everything that they did, and on their deathbed, they can repent, and they are let into heaven and have all their sins and their shames wiped away. Isn't that a loophole for horrific people who are afraid of going to hell? It's a great question. They, and they, they listed all of the terrible things that these individuals do. I won't go into that because we know what it means to be a horrible person. There's things that we aren't even uh, wanting to mention over this pulpit. Uh, and, they, and, and so this loophole, as they call it, and I'm going to debunk that. It's not a loophole. And if it's a loophole, we all get the opportunity at the same loophole. And uh, it, they, they, think, they put it this way. It, isn't it that I can do what I want when I want, live my life the way I want, and then repent on my deathbed? 
please explain this loophole of repenting on the deathbed. Okay, well, let's talk about this and do it real quickly so that I'm not taking up too much time from the Bible study um, because it will lead into what I'm, what I'm going to be talking about today. We're gonna, last week we talked about the curse of sin, but we're going to talk about the cure for sin. Amen, tonight. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the cure for sin. Uh, but it is not a loophole that somebody can repent on their deathbed and make it to heaven. That is salvation. Now, let me just clarify what it takes to be saved. Jesus said, except a man is born again of the water and of the spirit, they cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. That is John chapter 3, verses 3 and verses 5. You can read all of that in its context if you want. Uh, so it takes water and spirit. And when we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that being exemplified, Peter stood up and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the washing away of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this is what Peter said. This promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. That means you are as far away from God as you can be, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So that promise is not just relegated to those that are seeming good. The problem with saying that salvation is a loophole is to state that there's some people that didn't need the loophole. There's some people that didn't need to repent, that they were good enough in and of themselves. I want to tell you, if you can get to heaven in and of yourselves, you are the one that has found the loophole. Now let's talk about the individual. They, they have done biblical salvation, repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now if somebody's on their deathbed and they just say, forgive me, you can't do that. That's not biblical. That is not biblical. You, there's, and and that is, that is uh, an error and a heresy that has been propagated through Christendom uh, for, for generations, that all you have to do is just say, I'm sorry, and you make it in. That's not how this works. Now, let's assume somebody has repented, been baptized, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's say they stray away for a long time, and they go off and do all these things, or, or they do all these things, and at the very last minute, we just got blessed uh, a couple weeks ago, we baptized a 96-year-old man. Well, I don't think it's fair that at 96, that at the very end, he should get off scotch-free. I think he should have to pay. Well, you are not reading your Bible. Jesus told a parable of workers. Some were called in the first hour, the third hour, and then eventually the ninth hour, and at the very end, the eleventh hour. They've only got one hour left to work. And the master called them all forward, and, and from the very last one to show up, he said, hey, you that were here and only worked one hour, you get the penny that I promised to you. And the next one, you get a penny. And the next one, you get a penny. And the Bible says the one that showed up first expected to receive more. I've been so good and so awesome, I'm going to get more than salvation. I'm going to get better than salvation. And then the Bible says that the king handed that man a penny, and he was frustrated. I want to tell you, if we're not careful, we'll start looking at stuff like people getting saved as a loophole, and we'll think, well, they don't deserve to be there because of all the wicked things they've done, forgetting all the wicked things we've done. And we think that, that I somehow deserve it, but they don't. And at the end of the day, you get a penny, and I get a penny. Now, some of y'all were raised in church, but I want to let you know we all get paid the same. Hallelujah. Let me tell you about the kingdom. And I didn't come to preach, but I feel a little preaching me. The kingdom of God is not an hourly rate. It's not an hourly rate. It's... And this is the whole point of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. The Old Testament was an hourly rate. You were saved based on how good you did. 
amen, how hard you worked, how long you worked. But the New Testament, uh, it, it, it is now salary. You've been saved just like everybody else has been saved. Whether you showed up five minutes before, you're on your deathbed, or, or, or you're all the way uh, over here and you've been doing this for 40 years. I thank God he didn't leave me out. I heard somebody say it was so good. He said, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to the thief on the cross. Now, I've already defined biblical salvation. And if you want to say, well, I don't need to be baptized. What about the thief on the cross? I'll say this to you. He was the last man saved in the Old Testament. And all it took was the death of the lamb to be saved in the Old Testament. Everybody from that point forward, you have to repent, be baptized, and fill with the Holy Ghost. But somebody put it best, and they said, I can't wait to meet the man, uh, the, the thief on the cross. And I'm sure that when he, when he stood before the pearly gates, uh, all of a sudden the angels came out and said, what are you doing here? And he looked back at them and said, well, uh, I, I don't know. And they said, well, how, how, how many scriptures can you quote? What are scriptures? And, uh, you know, just a couple minutes prior, he'd been cussing Jesus out with the other thief on the cross. And they go, well, uh, what's your family heritage? He goes, I don't really have one. And what's your religious experience? He said, I don't really have one. And, and they go down all this list, and the angel goes and grabs his head angel and brings him there and says, well, I don't know how this guy's going to. And, uh, and he says, by what means are you going to enter heaven? And, uh, and, and he said it this way, and I love how he put it. He said, all I know is the man on the middle cross said I could come. I want to tell you, all of us are here because the man on the middle cross said we could come. You're not here because you're raised in church. You're not here today because you're better than somebody else. You're not here because you worked harder. You're not, you're not here because you're prettier. You're here today because the man on the middle cross said you could come. I think we ought to give God some praise. Praise God. And so hopefully that answered your question. Keep, keep bringing good questions. And now I'll start my timer. No, I'm kidding. I've already started a little bit ago. And so I want to recap. Last week we talked about the curse of sin. What I just talked about here a little bit ago will lead us into uh, where we're going. But God warned that disobedience would result in death. Disobedience always leads to death. It is, it is, it is necessary for you to obey the word of God. You cannot get into heaven without obedience. And some of you say, well, what about Ephesians 2, verse 8? For by grace are you saved, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I believe that verse. And we'll talk about when we get to know what grace really is. But grace ultimately is a teacher. And it teaches us what we have to do. But there must be obedience. You could tell your kids, for example, uh, clean your room or you're going to get a spanking. And they could say, well, I believe you. And then not move. And then the other kid can say, I believe you. Get up and start moving and doing something about it. Well, which one really believed you? Which one really had faith? The one that did something with their faith. James would say faith without works is dead. So you have to have obedience to be saved. Um, but, but, you know, God said that disobedience would lead to death. And Adam disobeyed. But he did not fall dead immediately. He lived uh, about 930 years after the sin of man. And, uh, and, and I talked about this last week, but I want to remind us, just because a consequence doesn't appear right away doesn't mean that God approves of our actions or that God has forgotten about what we've done. Eventually, if we don't repent of it, the consequences of sin will catch up to us. And I talked about the concept of mercy. Mercy, if you didn't write this down last week, mercy is withholding what we deserve. Amen. If you want to write another one down, grace gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy withholds what we deserve, which is death and the penalty. But grace gives us what we don't deserve, life and, 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 and a second chance. So let me just say this to somebody. Don't mistake mercy for permission. 
Just because God's merciful to you and I doesn't mean he's given his permission for things. Well, just because I haven't get struck with lightning doesn't mean God is making things permissible. And that will be one of the biggest follies of the end time church is thinking we got away with it. Because no longer is it a big box in our living room. It's now our cell phone. And now we can't say don't do this. And it's such easy black and white letters. But now it's things that are now that can't be articulated because there's so many things ever evolving. And we think we got away with it. But God's going to hold us to the same same standard of holiness. Amen. That he held the church 50 years ago to. We just have more devices and we have more things that we can be given into. So don't mistake mercy for permission. His mercies are new every morning. That's the only reason the Bible says that we are not consumed. We are not consumed because he's merciful. And God is merciful to us. Amen. Just because uh, Adam did not die physically immediately doesn't mean God was making it permissible. What God was doing was he was using mercy until grace could arrive and save him. Everybody said amen. Man did die, but he didn't die uh, uh, the complete version of death. He started the death process. He did die immediately in a spiritual death, and that spiritual death separated man from God. And so when God shows up to Adam and Eve, he starts asking them to try to get them to answer honestly, and thus started the blame game. Adam blamed his wife, and then Adam ultimately blamed God. Eve blamed the serpent. And the serpent, being the serpent, had nobody to blame. In fact, God didn't even ask his opinion. He just cursed him right away. And so there were horrible consequences for Adam and Eve's sin. Not only were they driven out of the garden, they suffered an immediate death, a future physical death, separation from God's presence, which means they could no longer rule the earth, and finally a curse was pronounced. Amen. I just want to get this, get, get right here. We're getting ready to this. So a curse pronounced on the serpent. Because the serpent was the first to, uh, because the serpent was the first to yield to Satan, we we can see that in Revelations the devil is called that old serpent, the devil, and uh, and the serpent, which again being a dumb beast, was yielding to the adversary, uh, and 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 it received the first punishment. We have to assume it had some sort of legs or wings because God's curse upon it says, "On your belly you'll go, and dust you'll eat all the days of your life." Now, I just got a little, little bit here, uh, just I'll talk about for a moment. What was mankind created out of? Dust, dirt. And what is the adversary to eat all the days of his life? Ah, we're starting to see it. So I want to tell you, the devil's not your friend. You are the devil's food. And I'll just, this is totally out of context, and I call this eisegesis, which means it's not in context, it's not in the Bible, but don't let your Bible get dusty. Hallelujah. Don't, walk, don't let your prayer life get dusty. Amen. The devil loves dust. Amen. So the next consequence. Now, I talked about this. God never one time cursed the woman or the man. There were consequences declared over them, but God did not use the word curse. Because what ends up happening, you'll find this through the Bible, and uh, there's more times we could talk about it. For example, Balaam. God never cursed them. And the Bible says they could not be cursed for they were blessed. God already declared a blessing over them. God had already blessed mankind. But you can curse yourself by sinning. And sin brings a curse upon us. It brings consequences. Eve was the next to receive the consequences of her sin. God said the woman would experience pain and childbearing. And now there was a hierarchy that was developed that was not developed in, uh, before the fall of man. The next, Adam's sin, the earth itself was cursed. 
And now man must work and toil and exist unto his death. So when we talk about not saved by works, we really need to understand we're going all the way back to the, 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 the curse that man brought upon himself because of sin. That he must work and toil and then at the end he would die. And so Eden, it was green, it was blessed, it was fruitful, but now the new environment would be barren, it would be full of unwanted thorns and thistles, and, uh, and it would be a horrible place to live. And now man was required, and this sets up the, the Old Testament, by the work of man's hands, by the sweat of man's brow, that he was going to work the cursed earth. So, what is the curse? The curse of sin, ultimately, regardless of the punishments and the consequences, is death. If you have your Bibles, Romans 6 and 23. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. Everybody here, if you get paid once a month, once a week, every other week, you get a paycheck. Which means you worked all week long, and this is what you worked so hard for. At the end of sin's road, when you work so hard sinning, as we all do, we all work so hard at sinning, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, doing all these things that we shouldn't do, that is in our sinful nature. The paycheck shows up at the end. And what's the paycheck? Death. There is no other paycheck for sin. It is death. And this is, must be understood. The Bible says in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if all have sinned, then that means all will receive the paycheck called death. That means your neighbor that thinks they're a good person, therefore they're going to heaven, their paycheck at the end is going to be the same. It's going to be death. That is the curse of sin. And Adam... In, as soon as he sinned, he, he had a spiritual death, and now he can't feel the presence of God, and something's wrong, and he looks, and he knows something's wrong with himself, and now he's got his conscience is activated, and, and Adam seeks to cover himself. What's he trying to do? He's trying to avoid death. He's trying to hide himself from God because he thinks now God's going to show up and God's going to kill me, and so he tries to sow fig leaves together, but when that didn't work, the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God took in verse 21 of chapter 3 and unto Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Notice how God didn't go down to, to Nordstrom's. He didn't go and find them a nice garment. He went to the field and he found an animal and it's my personal belief he found a lamb because it would fit the biblical typology of Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. I believe God looked down from heaven, and he saw a perfect, spotless Lamb that had never sinned. And remember, what is the penalty of, of sin? It is death, and God will never avoid his word. God always aligns with his word. The Bible says he set his word above his own name. God will honor his word and, and, and these are the laws he set in motion. And if mankind has got to die or there has to be death, then God did the very thing that, that sin required. There had to be a payment made. And so God went down, looked down from heaven, 
and he sacrificed the first animal of the Old Testament. And he killed a lamb and the blood was shed upon the ground. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned. And if it wasn't for the death of the sacrifice, Adam and Eve would die. If it wasn't for the death of the sacrifice, Adam and Eve would have to face the penalty and God would have to pour his wrath out upon mankind. I just want to remind somebody that without the sacrifice of the lamb, that you and I would have to have the wrath of God poured out on us. I'm talking about the infinite, eternal God, his wrath. As much as we enjoy his mercy, his love, his grace, his goodness, as much as we feel that, we would have to endure the wrath of God, which was never intended for us, which we would not be able to endure. And so the lamb endured it for Adam and Eve. This is the first act of substitution, that instead of Adam and Eve being the one to be punished, the lamb was punished. Amen. And so he took this animal and he covered. I have no, and, and this is my personal belief. It's not in the Bible. I don't believe uh, necessarily that, that God made it and fashioned it to be this, this perfect looking garment. I really, I really think it was kind of primitive because this is a symbol of the Old Testament. And they had to know that they were being covered. And every time they looked down, they'd see the lamb. Amen. They, uh, he took this bloody lamb and he covered them with it. And when they looked down, uh, now they were no longer in their shameful condition. They were now covered and they were clothed. Just to put a little plug out there, God believes in people dressing right. That's, in, that's pre-law. God, God said, you are too naked with your fig leaves, and I don't like that. You need to dress right. I want to tell you, salvation will make you dress right. And everybody said amen. And so he takes this animal and he covers them. Why? So that when God and his justice looks down from heaven and sin that requires a penalty of death, when God looks down, he no longer sees shameful Adam and Eve. He now sees them covered by the blood of the sacrifice. I want to tell you, when God looks down from heaven and he sees you and I, he doesn't see you. This is why the Bible says we have been made to become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want, I want to just help somebody's theology. God did not make you righteous. God did not make you righteous. God made you his righteousness. He substituted. He, the Bible says, who knew no sin became sin for us. That we, through him, might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, when you have been re repented and baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you are just as righteous as Jesus. In fact, not only are you just as righteous as Jesus, the Bible declares you are the righteousness of Jesus. So when you go around beating yourself up and letting condemnation, that's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Because when you are in Christ Jesus, when God looks down from heaven, you know what he sees? Jesus on a cross. When God looks down and, and the devil says, oh, you should get them, and he tries to condemn, and he tries to say, you, you know what, they're filthy and they're dirty. When God looks down from heaven, all he sees is the man on the middle cross. I think we ought to give God some praise for that. Amen. What we're learning in our Bible studies more than just religion. This is what gives us the hope to live. Man, this is what gives us the hope to live. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, I read it last week. And the Bible says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Remission means forgiveness. We have no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so, 
that leads us to this. So God brought the blood of an animal, the blood of a sacrifice. And Hebrews tells us this, speaking of the Old Testament. It is not possible. Everybody say impossible. It is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. These animals were not enough to pay the penalty of mankind's sin. This is the error of the Old Testament. This is the problem of the Old Testament. Every animal they killed was not enough. You could take all of the blood of all of the sacrifices of the entire Old Testament. You could take every drop of blood, and it would not be enough to push one of our sins and, and remit and wash away one of our sins. Not one. In fact, one time when you read about it, Solomon sacrificed so many animals uh, that, that if we were to measure it, it would make everybody grossed out. Uh, it just It's not good, but it was not enough. It was not enough, but one drop of the blood of Jesus was enough. All it took was one drop of Jesus' blood to redeem you. But he didn't give one drop, folks. He gave every last bit of his blood for you and for me. That is the Bible. Praise God. And so let's, let's go on and let's talk about this a little further. Let's talk about the wonderful promise. So we talked about the curse. The curse of sin is death. What's the cure? The Bible says without blood there's no remission. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is given for many for the remission of sins. And Peter, when they asked him, what do we got to do in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he replied, repent. That means turn, change your direction. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the washing away of your sins. I want to tell you, the only way you cure the curse is you've got to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. This goes all the way back. You cannot be saved without that. Well, what about this person? They were a good person. That's moral relativity. You cannot be saved except you are born again of water and of spirit. You are they're, they're, The only way you apply the blood of Jesus is through water baptism. When somebody says, well, I got baptized and all it was was an outward profession of my inward faith, that is not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. And that the problem with that is somebody goes, well, I don't want to make an outward profession. I'd rather, just, I'd rather just do it in secret and, 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 th and then I'm good. And, or if I just make an outward profession, then I'm good. No, that's not what baptism does. Baptism is the application of the blood. And it literally washes and forgives and cleanses all, all your sins. And so when you get baptized, when you got baptized, it wasn't just you getting wet in water. Peter said it is baptism that also now saves us you're saved by being baptized what does that look like that's obedience to the word of god and everybody said amen so eden had been a cruel triumph for satan he had indulged in malice and gratified his spite for the creator he had tricked god's creation the only thing with choice and free will and finally he has won he has taken the keys out of mankind's hands the most magnificent of all of God's creatures, cre creations and creatures had been shamed. And Satan was responsible for introducing sin into the new undefiled world. Satan had momentarily triumphed, but then God himself entered the conflict. 
Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Man, the Bible declares one of the first prophecies in the entire Bible. He said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This is part of the curse upon the serpent, upon the devil. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is spiritual warfare. Welcome to the war of good versus evil. You and I, we, we, didn't, we didn't ask to be enlisted. We were drafted from birth. We are in the war of good versus evil. Enmity means hatred. The seed of the woman is a prophecy of Jesus Christ that eventually a virgin would bear a child, bear a son. And the Bible says you will call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Amen. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was prophesied. I want to tell you, in the middle of the consequences of sin, in the middle of the curse of sin, there is a prophecy that is coming forth uh, that there will be a victory and there will be a triumph over evil and over sin and over the consequences and over death. That the devil would be crushed, that the devil would be destroyed, that sin would be defeated, and it came through Jesus Christ. This is saying that God will put hatred between Satan and Jesus Christ, between Satan and us. God is speaking to Satan, you will bruise Christ's heel. This is Jesus in his, in, in, in his humanity, the death of Jesus on the cross. The Bible says if, if the principalities and powers, if they would have only known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Can you imagine for just a moment? I know it's not Easter, but we're about to have Easter for just a moment. Hallelujah. I, I just want to tell somebody we're about to have an Easter moment. But on, on Good Friday, when they took him to the praetorium and they slapped him and they whipped him and they beat him, this was the bruising of the heel that was spoken of. This was just momentary, but the devil thought, finally, I got him. And there he is on the cross, and he is hanging in agony, and they are giving him, when he asks for water, they're giving him vinegar, and now he's got to go through bitterness, and he's got to go through shame, and they've torn his beard from his face, and his, his bones are open and exposed because this is the penalty of sin. Something's got to die. A lamb has got to die. The perfect lamb of God. The sacrifice has got to die, but the devil thinks, I got him, and I've crucified, and I've killed, and I've eliminated. I want to tell you, this is why all the way through the Bible, the the devil has gone after baby boys. He's tried to eliminate because he doesn't want. He's either killed them or disqualified them. And I'll talk about that as we go through the Bible study. Because everybody that shows up, they think, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. And when Jesus showed up, there were people that said, this is the Messiah. But there were some Jews that said, no, this ain't it. We're still looking. And there are Jews today that are still waiting on their Messiah. But they missed their Messiah all the way back uh, 2,000 years ago. They missed that Messiah. And they've been looking for him, looking for him, looking for him. And the devil recognized who Jesus was, the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah. He recognized this is the one that has been prophesied to destroy me and to destroy sin and on the cross the devil's triumphing I 
got him. I got him. I got him. I want to tell you the dark clouds came over the sky and, 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 and the earth began to shake and quake and no doubt the devil started getting excited. I, I, I just want to talk to you about how this really played out because now I own mankind forever and there's never going to come another Messiah and there will never be anybody else like Jesus. And I got him. And he triumphed and he got excited. Amen. That was the bruising of the heel. But this was only temporary. Because when the Savior carries our sin and our sickness and sorrow on the cross, his heel was bruised once and for all, Hebrews would say. I want to tell you, they kept going in, and I, I, we're going to get to it. And I can't wait till we can get to the tabernacle. We're gonna, it's exciting. But they, day by day and year by year, they go and they offer sacrifices of sin. And the Bible says it was not possible that it should take away sin. But the Bible speaks of Jesus being a perfect high priest. And he entered in one time. And that one time was enough. All the blood of the bulls and goats couldn't do it. But just one drop of the blood of Jesus was sufficient to take care of it. I want to tell you, you don't just come to church to be religious. You don't just come to, I want to tell you why you come. Because Jesus made a way. Let's talk about authority for a moment. The Bible says that, his, that the head of the serpent will be crushed. Head in the Bible refers to authority. Who had authority in the garden? Adam. Adam had authority in the garden and over the whole earth. But who stole that authority? Satan. And he got the keys. And he took them from Adam because Adam forfeited. I want to tell you, the consequences of sin are not only death, you forfeit your authority. This is why the Bible says uh, the, the way we defeat the devil, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's people that are resisting the devil and it's not changing nothing. you got to go back to the beginning of the verse. you got to start with submission. you got to... You got to start with obedience to God's word. And when we obey God's word, I want to tell you, that's all it takes. When you obey God, the devil can't do nothing about it. When you obey God, he's got to get out of there. But when we don't obey God, we forfeit things. This is why it's so important that we obey the word of God and obey God. And Satan stole this authority. And at Calvary. As Jesus is hanging upon a cross, the man on the middle cross, hanging there in agony, there's, there's those two thieves cussing him out until one changes his mind about Jesus. And at the last moment says, hey, I'm sorry. And he repents in that moment and he accepts the sacrifice of the lamb. Last man in the Old Testament saved. But, but in the middle of this, they're saying, if you are who you say you are, come down from that cross. And, 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 and the Bible even declares if he wanted to, he could have brought down a legion of angels. He could have called the host of heaven down. He could have stopped. He could have taken a shortcut. He could have come off that cross. But I thank God he didn't come off that cross. Because if Jesus would have come off that cross, I want to tell you, it would have forfeited our salvation. If Jesus would have come off that cross, we wouldn't be sitting here today. It's Bible study, but I feel like preaching this. At Calvary, he received a bruise to the heel, and the devil triumphed and left. And all of them around, those that were influenced of the devil, the chief and the high chief priests, and, and all of those that were there, the religious and the sinner alike, they were all mocking him and laughing and scorning Jesus and saying, We got him. It's over. It's done. But Jesus, in John chapter 19 and verse 30, says this. 
When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, and he cried with a loud voice, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. And the devil said, I got him. I didn't just bruise his heel. I just, I just eliminated him. I poisoned him to the point where he won't survive. I finally won, and I got the victory. But when Jesus cried, it is finished. This is where the Bible would say, had they only known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Because he had introduced the curse all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. But all the way at the end of the Gospels, we're seeing the cure come to fruition. And it is a man hanging bloody upon a cross, screaming at the top of his lungs. It is finished. What is finished? Amen. That word finished is to die, which means it is complete. It has been executed. It has been concluded. It, that debt has been discharged. It has been disbanded. Everything has been accomplished. Everything has been fulfilled. That word means it has been made to bring, it's been brought to an end. It has expired. It has filled up. It is over. Amen. It has been paid. The act and the deed has been performed. Can I just tell you what happened? Back in Genesis chapter 3, mankind sinned and we fell under the curse. But all the way at the end of the Gospels, we're seeing the prophecy of the promise of Genesis 3.15 in Jesus Christ be made fulfilled. The devil thought I got him when he bit at the heel of Jesus. But what he didn't realize is that in that moment, Jesus on the cross would get the last laugh. That Jesus... That he would cure all of mankind. And the Bible says that he might take away the sins of the world. I think we ought to stand across the building and lift up our hands and magnify him. I think we ought to thank him for the promise. I think we ought to thank him for the promise. Oh, I feel him. I feel him in this house. Somebody ought to give him praise. I know it's Bible study, but I can't help but get excited when I talk about Jesus. I can't help but get excited when I talk about the blood. I can't help but get excited when I talk about the cross. I can't help but get excited when I talk about what Jesus has done. Woo, somebody give him praise. Come on, somebody give him praise. Somebody give him praise. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Well, I'll go back a little further. Amen. Chapter 2 and verse 12. Again, connecting with what we talked about today. Buried with him in baptism. How do you go through the, how do you get saved? You got to go through the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Repentance, the death. The burial, which is baptism. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which is the resurrection. Buried with him in baptism. Whom, wherein you are also risen through him, through the faith of the operation of God who's raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him having forgiven remitted washed away all of your trespasses all of your sins all of the curse the bible says he blotted them out amen and the bible says he took it out of the way nailing it to his cross and the devil thought, I got him on that cross. 
But you know what the Bible says after the fact? Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In what? In the cross. Because the devil did exactly what God prophesied would happen. That all you would do is bruise his heel. But in that act of bruising his heel, he was going to crush your head. I want to tell you, the devil's been defeated. The devil's been defeated. Somebody give him praise. The devil's been defeated. Somebody shout, the devil's been defeated. Somebody shout, the devil's been defeated. Come on. Somebody give him praise. The devil's been defeated. Somebody give God praise. The devil's been defeated. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible says he entered the lower parts of heaven, or lower parts of hell, and he walked up to the devil and said, give me those keys. And the devil had to forfeit all of his authority. Jesus got the last laugh. Sin entered into our bloodstream and death by sin. By the disobedience of one, many were made unrighteousness. But Romans says, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Jesus' death and his resurrection provided salvation, power, and authority for all who claim it by faith. Because Jesus died and rose again, the curse of sin has been removed. And let me finish with this. The authority of Satan has been destroyed. Well, Pastor, I can't, I can't live for God. False. The devil's authority has been revoked. Well, how is it that I'm, I'm currently struggling? I'll tell you what it is. You've got to repent. And if you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And if you haven't said yes to God yet, tonight is a good night to say yes to God. Tonight's a good night to lay your sins down at this altar. I wonder if we can lift up our hands all across this building. Come on, there's a, there was a curse that entered the world because of sin. But I want to tell you, there was a cure, and his name is Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus is the cure. Come on, I, I want to invite all of us down to this altar. Maybe you've never repented, or maybe you've repented a million times. Tonight is a good night to say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you wash me? If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I want to tell you it's more than just pronouncing your faith. It is washing all your sins away. Come on. The devil's been defeated. The devil's been defeated. Somebody lift up your voice and magnify the Lord here tonight. All across this building, let's give him praise. Gonna lift our voice in victory. Gonna make your Somebody, you need to make it up in your mind. I've already been empowered to live for God. The devil's been defeated. Jesus conquered him. And now I'm gonna live for God. And now I'm gonna be free from sin. And now I'm gonna be free from shame and guilt. The enemy has been defeated. Come on, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Gonna lift our voice in victory. Gonna make your praises loud. The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're gonna lift our voice in victory. Come on, somebody give him praise. 
Somebody give him praise. Come on. You're free tonight. You're free tonight. And if you aren't free, you can be. Some praise tonight. I think we ought to leave this Bible study with a shout and a praise. Come on, one drop of the blood cured me. One drop of the blood cured me.
There was a curse because of sin. Sin entered into the world because of a choice of man, but it was brought to us by the temptation of the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. And here's what the Bible has declared. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? It's when he takes and steals from your life, kills in your life, and destroys in your life. It's when he allows and he brings more temptation and he gets people addicted to drugs and he gets people to give into a life of fornication and he gets people so wrapped up in worldliness and carnality and, and he's finally triumphing saying, I, I got him, I got him, I got him. But for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I want to tell you how Jesus crushes on a permanent basis. The Calvary crushed the head of the serpent. And the devil from time to time might start thinking, I, I, feel, like, I feel like I'm repairing and getting better. But Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So the devil introduced a curse through sin, but Jesus brought us the cure and crushed the head of the serpent. Is it all right if we shout on some theology? If I had a chandelier, I'd be swinging from it. How does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Number one, he destroyed the works of the devil at Calvary. One drop of the blood was enough to crush the head of the serpent. But I'll tell you how else God does it. He takes some of us, uh, amen, the Bible says, and such were some of you. He takes you and he says, I'm going to destroy the works of the devil. And you know what? This guy right here used to be addicted, but God. And this sister over here used to live a certain lifestyle, but God. And that act of living for God, you just start. I want to tell somebody, it's not just your dance at church that crushes Satan. It's your life dance. It's when you live for God day in and day out. You're dancing on the, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under. I'll tell you what that looks like. God takes lying out of your mouth. God takes cheating out of your heart. God takes, he removes addictions and compulsions. Oh, somebody ought to shout and give him praise. The devil's been defeated. I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to walk with God that I might crush him, that I might bruise him, that it might destroy the works. I know it's Wednesday night Bible study, but I feel a Sunday revival. Somebody ought to give him praise. Somebody ought to dance. God will crush Satan under my feet. Hallelujah. So God will take you and me. You know how God gets glory and triumph? When he takes the most rotten of us sinners... See, Paul said he was the chiefest of all sinners. I beat him. 
I one-upped him. I'm, I'm a better sinner than Paul ever was. I dethroned Paul a long time ago. And God takes somebody like that and says, I'm going to make a preacher out of you. Well, I, you got to be careful of a religious spirit. The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. Don't do the devil's dirty work. Well, I don't know why God would use them. I don't know why the pastor would use that person. I don't, I don't know because if you'd know what I know about them. Listen, you, you have the wrong spirit. It ain't of God. You're doing the works of the devil. Instead, we should rejoice that God got another one. We should rejoice the devil lost again. That person was on drugs. That person was addicted. Somebody clap your hands and give God a shout of praise. Somebody give God a shout of praise. Come on, let's take a few moments. I want to give him praise. So what, what does this look like now? You leave this building and you live a life that just, well, here's a good one for my Irish brethren. You got a river dance on the devil, you know, just tap dance on the devil. Just, hey, and you don't tap dance and river dance on the devil just because you come in on Sunday only and shout. I want to tell you, every morning you get up and you make a decision, I'm not going that direction. I'm not smoking that no more. I'm not drinking that no more. I'm not hanging out with them no more. I'm not thinking that way no more. I God is using your feet, your life to crush. Lift up your hands one more time all across the building. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us hopeless and empty. You didn't leave us without a chance. I thank you, God, that, that you have given us an opportunity to be saved. I thank you, Lord, that not only have you given us an opportunity to get saved, but, Lord, you're going to use us in the process of crushing the devil, that you're going to use our lives as an instrument of torture on the adversary. And I pray, God, that we would leave this building submitting ourselves to you, resisting that old devil, and crushing him under our feet. In Jesus' name, somebody clap your hands and give God praise one more time. Shake, shake somebody's hand, tell them God bless you, and go out and curb stomp the devil. In Jesus' name, God bless you.